you know, every time. to have personal responsibility, political accountability, and corporate culpability. We must eliminate poverty. I don't care what color the person or child Anybody? Raise your hand. He was a vicious slave owner in the West Indies. The slave masters in the colony of Virginia were having trouble controlling their slaves, so they sent for Mr. Lynch to teach them his methods. Keep the slave physically strong, but psychologically weak and dependent on the slave master. Keep the body, take the mind. I and every other professor on this campus are here to help you to find, take back, and keep your righteous mind. We made it! 2021, I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with co-host Amber Page. Welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of intelligent radio, and we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. We made it, Queen. You are here live in 3D with me, January the 2nd, 2021. Uh, was you looking at that midnight clock, hoping it didn't turn to 1160, 2020? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Happy New Year. Woo, you sound elated to be here, Queen. <laughs> well, I am happy to be into a new year, for sure. Um, so, yeah. Happy New Year. 2021, let's see what happens. Yes, sir. Let's do it. Let's do it. Some, you know, some people are glad to have gotten through 2020. It's been tumultuous for some, abundant for others. And either way, um, we you know we've been trekking through every Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We rocking the Mental Dialogue talk show, talk show. We do what we do. And if you are a first-time listener, as I broke down, we like to ask the questions America's afraid to ask. And so last Saturday, we were fortunate enough to do Mental Dialogue, the best of Mental Dialogue 2020 at part one. And so I got a demand from the listeners last week. They enjoyed the smorgasbord of topics, if you will, uh, for this week. and said, hey, bring that back. And I said, okay. We, you know, I didn't have a set show to start to kick off the year. So I said, you know what, let's do a part two. 
of the best of Mr. Dialogue, which is, you know, a little little, little less work for you and I, uh, Amber, if you will, because I play cuts from our top shows over the, you know, over the past year, if you will. And so um, as I challenged you with last week, uh, when we play these cuts and play different show titles and different so- subject matter. Uh, we'll just kind of ask your thoughts coming out of the cut. So, as you know, as same as last week, let, tune in closely as you're listening. And when we come out, I'll just kind of open with, um, you know, tell me your thoughts on that cut from that particular show for the year. For everybody else out there listening, we're going to give you all an opportunity. Again, we did this last Saturday, and it worked pretty good. We're going to give you all an opportunity to co-host with us for this morning's Again, special edition, I should say, um, Best of Mental Dialogue 2020 Part 2. Uh, if you call in and you've given us a, an amazing three cents, because that's what we call our opinions here uh, on the Mental Dialogue talk show, not just a couple of cents. We get three, we give up three cents here, so we want you to give us your three cents this morning. And if you dropping dimes, we'll keep you on the show as a co-host until the next person calls and knocks you off. So you don't have to do that, uh, but if you choose to get in with us or do want to take an attempt, please get in here. We Welcome uh, all opinions here on the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, but better yet, when I say we are the return of intelligent radio, it is really due to our audience. I, I absolutely believe we do have the smartest audience in all of radio. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only radio host that says that, but y'all have shown and proved so many times before, uh, as you will hear some of your own voices if you are a regular listener on some of these cuts uh, that we choose to play. Uh, without further ado, um, Amber, if you don't necessarily have, if you have anything you might want to jump in on um, or just say, you know, to start out the new year, uh, we're going to actually go to the initial commercial a little sooner so that we can do more cuts today. I, I, I didn't get to play all the cuts last week, so that was uh, pretty cool. And, you know, one of my uh, listeners said, hey, man, you should do that again so you shouldn't get to all your cuts. And I, I, I took that idea. Again, we are a uh, in a sense, a community club, and so the community spoke, and we listened. Um, so, you know, with that said, let me get this um, commercial set up a little early. Um, but any thoughts for you, again, starting this new year? I know you say you're glad to be in the new year. Again, um, good year, or, uh, or, or well, was 2020 a good year for you, in between, tough year for you, um, Amber? Where, where, you know, where you at with it before we go to this first commercial? No, oh, so 2020 was definitely – a year for me to learn and practice patience with everything. Um, so <clears throat> it was a good year because I feel like we've been patient. I've been patient just trying to get through, you know, this pandemic, everything else that, you know, is going on, loss of businesses, things like that. So I think it's taught patience for me. So I'm looking forward to 21. It wasn't a bad year. It wasn't a bad year for me. Nah, sounds good. Well, yeah, let's go just a little early to our break, and we're going to come out of this thing, if you will. Like I said, stay tuned in pretty heavy um, as we get started uh, with this morning's discussion. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. We've got one caller out there looking to get in early, so if you're the caller, listen to the cut, so we'll be d- d- 
jumping between subjects. If you're online and want to take advantage of becoming a co-host, the number to get in is 646-787-1691. Again, that's 646-787-1691. You will have to press 1 to let us know you want to speak and become a co-host. We got one on deck, so we'll probably go to 237 coming out of the break and let them join in with us. We'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways, every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. Big Sis Media Group is a full-service design agency with tools available to help clients communicate with audiences through visual and digital media. So what exactly does that mean? You need graphic design? Call Big Sis Media. You need web design? Call Big Sis Media. You need audio or video production? Call Big Sis Media. You need a branded strategy for your business? Call Big Sis Media. Damn, they do everything, don't they? Nope, even better. They're professionals. Whatever service you need, they do a consultation, send over a contract with a deadline, and meet that deadline. A true one-stop shop for all your digital and media needs, all at an affordable price. What's their website and phone number? BigSysMediaGroup.com. 404-465-4348. Again, that's BigSysMediaGroup.com. Dot com. Call them at 404-465-4348. Uh, from the standpoint of, I personally think it moves us away, moves our sisters away from femininity. But again, that's my perspective as a man. I'm wondering your perspective about that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think it kind of is a conditioning for us. Um and you're right, it does start from a young age. And little boys and little girls are taught to admire strength in women. And so, you know, whatever a child is kind of groomed to believe up until age around 13, it pretty much sticks with them permanently unless there is a serious deprogramming. So that's why even as adults, we still are, it doesn't, it's, we're not sensitive to the overly independent or overexertion of strength that black women, that we as black women can exude, not by choice, but most of the time by force. Um, I do feel like as a feminine woman, we have to exercise our true power in our femininity, which is our power to influence change. And so my goal now is I'm sure we all can agree and understand that we have definitely been groomed and conditioned to normalize um, unhealthy levels of strength in black women. Uh, I think we definitely have been conditioned to, it becomes a competition in black women and how much you can endure while still appearing to be okay. You know, and we applaud black women like, look at you still looking good, even though you've been abandoned and abused and, then before you know it, it becomes a competition in a woman of who can fake be okay the best. 
And <laughs> then it makes women afraid to be honest about how they feel. Then it makes women, if everyone's looking at you like, oh, my God, I'm so proud of you. You look so good and you're so strong. Well, the last thing you want to do when people are looking at you, sometimes that's the only adoration black women get is the adoration for it. Look at how much you've been neglected and let down, but you're still making it. So then that's what black women become in competition to do is, again, who can fake be the best? Who can fake live in unhealthy, unnatural, dysfunctional ways the best? Who can live without a man the best? We literally congratulate black women on how well they can do without a man, which we need. So at some point, we as black women have to exercise our power and say it's time to influence change. We are not going to sit and no longer be smiling, accepting a sticker for how much imbalance we can live through. So we have to put our foot down in a way and say, you know what, Yeah, this is how we've been conditioned, but we're in the age of information. Some time ago, messages took time to relay. They had to pretty much be relayed mouth to mouth. Now we have the power of technology, the Internet. We have ways to communicate in the masses so that we can say, okay, guys, you know, and have a meeting and say, this is not it. This is not how it's supposed to be. We have to go back to the drawing board, recalibrate, and kind of reclaim a healthy feminine balance in our lives. So at some point, we have to say, okay, we get it. This is how we've been conditioned, but now it's time to move forward and change that. So that's where I'm at now. I think we all understand it by now. Now it's time to put it into action. Welcome back to the Myths Dialogue talk show this morning's special edition. Did you hear the best of Myths Dialogue 2020 part two? Thought it was only right to kick off with our number one show for the second half of the year, which was are strong black women allowed to express their femininity? Um, Amber, you were actually privileged enough to actually be on that show. Uh, so I'll just kind of start there with you, uh, if you will, Queen. Uh, we actually got a caller. Go ahead and get – let's get the caller in on here with us um, and, and introduce okay. them, um, you know, very briefly, and then I'll get your thoughts on that cut that you just heard. Uh, we got area code 571, last 3237. Give us your name, where you're calling from. Again, we want to get you introduced to this morning's opportunity to co-host with us for our best of mental dialogue 2020. How you doing? Good morning and happy new year, brother. This is Emil from Northern Virginia. Oh man, we got an amazing co-host, y'all. Don't be scared to knock him off though, because I know he about to kill. He about to kill this. He's Kanye West. He about to kill this. Yeah, you know I mean, because I'm killing this now, my man Emil. Thank you, long time caller, long time listener. Thank you for being on with us. So as I was gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and let Amber, uh, Amber, say hello to Emil, and if you will, Amber, um, after that, say after you say hello, go ahead and give your thoughts to that cut. And I'm pretty sure Emil, you got some thoughts. Again, that was our number one show for the second half of the year. So I started there for this special edition, Best of Mental Dialogue 2020 Part Two. All right, Amber, it's on you, Queen. Yeah, so I do remember that show, and uh, it was a great dialogue. Um, Just from that clip, what resonated with me is that we award and congratulate women on how much pain they've had to endure. You know, it is definitely conditioning, um, because I can think back to my mother. She was able to endure almost everything or what appeared to be everything, and still showed and exhibited that she had it all together. 
Um, so I can definitely say that that's the part that resonated most with me in that clip. No, absolutely. And that was a clip, um, you know, it was featured on special guest, uh, Six the Goddess, and that was who you heard on that clip. Mm-hmm. And I remember her also saying um, even that title that she digested it simply from the idea that you'd never hear strong white woman or strong Asian woman. And so she, you know, obviously that particular show we brought her in, and, and, you know, in reference to how she saw things. Again, I just started there because it ended up quickly, because we only had that show a few months ago, and it literally caught up with some of our top shows this year. Um, so people are still tuning in and listening to that. Um, but again, we are fortunate enough to have on one of our um, frequent callers, Amir Ryan, if you will, King. Um, any thoughts to uh, that particular cut um, in reference to just, again, that title, just to give give you a little backdrop, was Are Strong Black Women Allowed to Express Their Femininity? Uh, any thoughts on that, King? Yeah, brother. So first of all, I acknowledge that I am a cisgender, cisgender male. That's very important in this conversation because my perspective is limited by that. Uh, however, um, I observed strong women all across my family. And one of the most powerful things I learned from that observation is that they're asked to do more and more, and so there's a sliding definition of femininity. And that sliding definition of femininity has actually impacted the ability of women to express the feminine elements of their being. And it hurts to see because as more women are forced into or applauded for showing what are traditionally masculine traits, it means that there's going to be even further imbalance in black society and black culture. That imbalance has been and will continue to be unhealthy for us because the feminine nature is, even in men, that feminine, those feminine, those traditionally feminine traits and qualities are important in order for us to recover our true self. And our true self is not anything that is in reaction to what we've experienced in the past 400 years. There is a point in our past uh, as people of African descent where there was no influence by any colonial power. That type of thinking, that type of mindset needs to be recovered. That type of thinking, that type of mindset is, has a healthy, traditionally feminine component. As we get away from that traditional feminine component in women who are applauded and exhibit these more masculine traits as part of their femininity, we're telling them and telling ourselves that the balance between the feminine and masculine traits in each individual, whether they're uh, female or male, is no longer valuable. And because it's no longer valuable, mm-hmm. any demonstration of those more feminine traits, those more traditionally feminine traits, is considered less valuable, or let's be very clear, considered less human. And that's the challenge that we face when we talk about are black women allowed to express their femininity. I think they should be more traditionally feminine, and I don't mean that in the patriarchal sense. I mean mm-hmm. that in mm-hmm. the sense that there, is a, there are important feminine traits that must be exhibited in a culture for it to thrive. And because those traits are being devalued, our culture is beginning to thrive less. And I think that's why this conversation is so healthy and so important, because those traits need to be emphasized to flourish, particularly in our black women, but also in our men, so that those traits can be considered part of their humanity. 
Amazing, brother. Um, I'm, I think you might have got my first six cents. Matter of fact, I might start a – you just dropped six cents. That might be the new 2021 thing. You feel me? Because you just dropped – you just gave us a dime out of this world that really just hit it on all levels and all points. Um, I, the one thing that I thought to myself, like you said, is that, is that balancing and understanding how much, in a sense, if you will say, masculine and feminine traits are needed. And I always think of from the standpoint of, uh, of them being complementary. And so if something's complementary, then you, you, you're, not, you're not as strong without the other, right? And so both are needed. And so you're absolutely right, just the way that that focuses. I remember on that particular show telling um, our guest that as a young child, I remember bigging up my mom and, my, you know, in a sense, for in a sense being that strong black woman because that's, that's kind of how it was given to us. And I thought of it as a good thing, but now that I'm in this, you know, at this age and just kind of see how things are playing out, um, it has definitely created the imbalance um, that I think you're speaking to. Um, any thoughts from you, Amber, in reference to what Emil had to say? Again, that brother just gave us a whole dime, and he got the the birds on the show with us too, which is cool. We we, we make it work, brother. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> no, that was wonderful. Yeah. Nah, absolutely, man. And, um, you know, matter of fact, what I may do again, we just playing this by ear for anybody out there listening. Again, just let y'all know six four six seven eight seven one six nine one you do have to press one um to let us know you want to speak and let me i'll even go on the further to say this because some of the other cuts that i have planned to play or i think i think kind of in a sense deal with this issue as well and so uh, while, again, I played that because it was the top show of the last half of the year, but just even trying to give um, some um, resemblance to continuity of this show, again, we will be jumping around in subject matter. Um, but I'll throw this out. I'm going to go ahead and play another cut um, while I got both of you. Again, Emil's still rocking this co-host thing with us. Um, but while I have both of you, I'm going to play another cut because and here's what I want to kind of have you all think about as you're listening to the cut. So this cut comes from... Um, to show how do we end the gender war in the black community. And so I have long said as, as that war, gender war, seems to be brewing and growing, some people think it's a myth. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I think it's, it's, it's not as pervasive as some would like to think, but I also don't think that it's, that it's going away either, in my opinion. But the one thing that I always say, that for all of the conversations we have throughout the year with Mental Dialogue and we try to have pertinent conversations that matter to our community, I ultimately say that a lot of things that we talk about as far as progressing and moving forward is all for naught if we don't fix the dynamic between the black man and the black woman. And so, um, I, again, I'm glad that we started there, and I think that this next cut will will take us there, if you will. Again, this comes from um, actually, to be honest, this is actually a YouTube um, on the Mental Dialogue YouTube page that I'm about to play here. So you can actually go to the YouTube page and, and actually see the video. But I, I featured this video on the show. Um, how can we end the gender war in the black community? So y'all tune in and give me your thoughts, three cents coming out of this cut. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the host of the Mental Dialogue Talk Show every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where all I ask is that you think. Mob Deep famously said, there's a war going on outside no one is safe from. Clearly they were talking about some street issues within hip-hop. But there's an ensuing gender war that I think 
no one is also safe from. We see black men and black women throughout the community, whether it's on social media, you see it in written articles on TV, having this battle of whether black men are supporting women or whether black women are supporting men. So we are now having an ensuing, growing gender war that is starting to have effects on the strength of the black community and specifically the black family. We understand that systematically the black family has been under attack for a long time with the start of welfare as a lot of people refer to that as the start of, in a sense, having the black man out of the home. Mass incarceration has also been a systematic attack. And so we are now living out the results of black men, generally speaking, not all black men, that are not, in a sense, there for our women. And so in order to end this gender war, we must look at those results and figure out what steps can we take in order to end the gender war. When you think of real wars that happen in real life and go back and study them, there were steps that were taken to end those wars. But in order to end this ensuing gender war within the black community, here are the steps we must take. And it's really the first step that matters the most. I call it the domino. Once this happens, all the other dominoes will fall in place. I did a Mental Dialogue pop-up show recently where I had a brother and we were talking about this very issue. And he was making sure that I understood there are steps that African-American men should be taking to make sure we're not ensuing this battle. And there are steps that black women should be taking. And my challenge to him was, I said, well, the first step is for us as African-American men to own our role in creating this gender war. Let me make it very clear. When I say creating it, I'm not talking about starting it. I'm not talking about the very real agenda that is focused on creating issues that keep us divided, whether it's having our sisters believing that they don't need us and things of that nature. These are the things that we get to battling over. So that agenda is very real. But what happens is, is when we're battling, we never see any reconciliation because both sides are playing the blame game. And so because black men are blaming women and women are blaming men, we never see any progress forward. We just see more people getting ensued and caught up in it and less uh, opportunities for us to come together. The reality is this. We have 25% of our sisters who are currently married, 33% of our African-American men that are married. These stats come from black demographics. So it's not a stat just put out there to make us look bad. This is a reality that I feel, again, started with a systematic issue, but now is being reinforced by an agenda to ensure that we are divided. So if black men would understand that us not being there, that's a real-life result. Intentional or unintentional, we started to accept that this is normal in our community for, again, not all men, but for men not being there for their families, whether it be thinking they can sow their wild oats and then eventually do it and have kids by different women and things of that nature. Because that has become normalized, that is why our sisters have been able to get caught up in this agenda that says you don't need him because we haven't been there. And so the first step is us owning that we haven't been there, regardless of why. If we own that first step and start teaching the next generation that the man with the most notches is not the winner. It's the man who finds a wife, gets married, stays married, raises children. That's real wealth. If we start training our young men to take that focus versus 
what we're currently getting told. If we get men to take that focus, then no agenda can swoop in and tell women that they don't need us because we've been there. We've already we've already ensued and gained the trust that we have. That trust is missing. And so the first step, again, that must happen, it must be our ownership of the, the role that we fail to play. You don't have to take that as blame. It's just a reality now. So in order to fix it, let's start teaching the next generation. It won't be easy, but no other step will happen until that first domino falls. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's Did You Hear the Best of Mental Dialogue 2020 Part 2 by co-host Amber Page is on with me as well as our caller, Emil. Thank you, King, for being with us. Queen, we're going to start with you again. I don't know if you've ever heard that cut before, but either way, uh, anything that stood out to you, again, that's a cut from uh, one of our top shows this year, How Do We End the Gender War in the Black Community? It's actually a YouTube that I put up, and we played it on that show. So any thoughts from you um, in reference to hearing that? Go ahead, Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last thing you said is that it's like the domino effect. You know, one domino has to fall before the rest of them can fall in line. And so I just want to know, what do you think that looks like for the black man? Like, what does that look like? How do we know that that Mm -hmm. first domino has tipped over? Like, what does that look like? That's a great question. Um, Yeah, I definitely would love to hear Emil's thought on this as well. So here's my answer to that. Um, So, Um, As I tried to explain on that video, I said that is a reality in general. In general, we always hear, you know, for example, the the number, the 73% of black children that are born out of wedlock, and doesn't mean that every man's not there uh, again, but that's just a stat that we often hear or whatever. And so when when we look at that being a real number that unfortunately has only grown, to that number since the 60s, uh, you know, back when the Monaghan report reported that we were in crisis when we were at 25% out of wedlock. And so over the years, that number is only one in one direction. And so I'm um, giving us a lot of context. I'm going to definitely answer your question. And so anyway, um, so when I say what does it look like, it's just as I see, unfortunately, quite often back and forth dialogues between, you know, some groups of men and women just trying to figure out this, you know, how do we fix this between us? Um, it looks like this to me Amber that when the dialogues quite often happen each gender kind of puts it on the other gender however in my opinion when men sometimes we're saying like for example the last cut when we talk about how we applaud black women for being strong. Well, we know, unfortunately, due to the breakup of the family, our black women were, in a sense, forced to be strong due to, you know, whether that breakup was by system, systemically or by choice. Either way, so it all falls under the same gamut, but either way, too many, uh, uh, in a sense, of African-American men are, are not in homes. And this is not a judgment. We're just talking about the facts of it, right? And so... I say that to say that since that is such a reality, and quite often when I see dialogue is, as men, in, in a sense, we'll often talk about, well, if the woman would act this way and this thing, but we're, sometimes we're saying it without the very real idea that she only got that way due to 
and people don't like this, but this is the truth when you go use history. When you go from the very beginning, when we were, in a sense, brought here, we wasn't able to protect her. And so I think that is a subconscious thing that has been kind of since passed down, and it becomes easier to say, well, if she would act that way, and I'm saying, again, not this is not about blame. It's just a collective response that, hey, if from the beginning we were not able to protect her, then this is what it looks like to me, Amber. It is recognizing that and then starting to learn what type of things, how should I be as a man to ensure that she feels protected. So it's like, in my opinion, Amber, to answer you directly is the more of us as a, as men, black men collectively that understand, hey, what we're seeing is due to our absence. I think it would force us to figure out how do we actually actually learn what manhood is versus what's being what's happening now due to that boy, due, due to that black man not being there, black boys and black girls have no, in my opinion, real concept of what that should look like. So I hope that answers your question. Matter of fact, I'll let you respond real quickly before I get Emil thought, Emil's thoughts on that as well. Did I, did I answer your question? I know I went a, a way around the bush to kind of get back to that point, but I hope some of what I said, you know, makes sense. Yeah, what I heard you say is uh, it's about corrective behavior, like being able to identify there's a problem, um, taking accountability for, okay, this is how I contributed. Okay, so I hear you saying the corrective behavior. And the first thing being just being able to identify what you can do to nursed the woman back to this place of femininity. Yeah, just to be part of the solution within my own one-on-one relationship um, is, 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 you know, definitely a thought there. Emil, any thoughts to about what I had to um, say in reference to, to that cut? I don't know if you've ever seen that cut as well. I'm sorry, brother. I got to get it back live. Anybody else that wants to go live with us, you do have to press one. I got Emil Bryant on the air with us right now, one of our longtime callers. Thank you, King. I got you live. Sorry about that. Go ahead, King. No problem. Uh, first of all, King, uh, I appreciate your perspective because I think you're, you're walking down the right path. Um, I'm going to say two things to precede this to help understand, to help understand what I'm going to say. First is I explain, not excuse, but sometimes my explanations will sound like an excuse. That's not true. It just means that the more you understand, mm-hmm. the better you're able to solve the problem doesn't mean that there is no problem or that the problem should not be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Second thing is <clears throat> this underpinning problem is not black men's absence. That is a symptom of a greater problem. And until we acknowledge the greater problem, we will never come to a, an understanding of how to truly fix it. The fix isn't simply acknowledge my, my sin or acknowledge my part or acknowledge my place. Even though all of this stuff is, is obvious, and you stated mad facts, the problem is we're all traumatized by a system of oppression. And the first step to unlocking all of the dangerous symptoms that have accumulated under that system of oppression is acknowledging, A, I am in a system of oppression, B, that is fueled by my destruction, and C, I am traumatized by that system of oppression. 
as soon as you say that, you can start looking at the symptoms from a different lens. The lens is, if I am traumatized, how do I respond to that trauma? What do I do with this knowledge? Now we can go into knowledge itself. We can start studying our history and our culture and understand that in the 1960s, when we had 25%, according to the Monaghan Report, we had uh, 25% children born out of wedlock, and now we're near 70%, that there was a systematic process destroying black families. We never acknowledged that we were in that war to the, to the mm-hmm. extent we were. And because we never acknowledged it, we accumulated trauma for 50-plus years. That trauma was compounded by the fact that the system of oppression was getting savvy and smart, or I should say savvy-er and smart-er, as black people became more aware of the system. So less overt oppression, more covert oppression. All of that became, uh, all of that led to symptoms that weren't once available or once weren't seen. Those symptoms include fathers being incarcerated, fathers being treated like less than human, men who were basing their manhood on a definition of manhood that was given to them by an oppressive system. Our definitions of manhood as black men relate to white men. Let's be very clear. We want wealth, power, prestige. We want the authority that white men have in this society. And we believe, sadly, because the system of oppression has fooled us, that if we exhibit those traits, we are men. Those traits, are not even close to manhood for black people in America. Those traits are necessary and important because we are in America, but they are not sufficient. They are not enough. Our black women need a man who is steeped in black culture and tradition. First step, because we always talk practical. First step, acknowledge you're in a system of oppression. Second, acknowledge that the system of oppression has traumatized you individually and that your reaction to life comes from a place of trauma, that you are broken in the way you see things and the way you react to things. Third, acknowledge that you now can heal from that trauma accordingly. And part of the healing process you mentioned, I acknowledge my role in the destruction of the family, even if I wasn't complicit. I acknowledge that my responsibility is to do my part to fix the black family to end the, the gender war, we cannot subscribe to a definition of manhood that looks anything like what we've been taught in America. Again, necessary components but not sufficient. Black women need black men who are strong in this society's eyes, capable in this society's eyes, and also sensitive in their eyes. That sensitivity from our last segment, a a traditionally feminine trait, has been devalued in our men. So now you don't have men who understand the importance of taking care of the heart of their woman, especially a woman whose femininity is on a sliding scale going toward masculinity. Now we have this competition, and that competition has been exacerbated by the mainstream media, by the system of oppression that we all are under, and that 
wedge between black men and women only gets wider as we do not acknowledge all of the factors exacerbating the trauma we're already in. Wow, Amber, I think we just became the Emil Bryant show, which I'm cool with that. I'm good with that. I have no <laughs> problem that the best of Mr. Dialogue 2020 Part 2 became the Emil Bryant show. Amber, I'm going to give you, give me some quick thoughts on that before, because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm off uh, on the break, but he was dropping so much dying, so no, much he was giving, dropping so much, I just break. went through the break. <laughs> No, go ahead. So there we go. We're going to go to a quick break. And we're going to come back. we got another cut. we got to keep this thing moving. This is Mental Dialogue, Best of 2020. I think he capsulated uh, that that cut just fine. So I don't even, I'm not even going to add to it. Uh, but with that said, if you're out there, I see callers out there. If y'all want to get in, you do have to press 1 if you want to come in and be a host. But you're so hard to follow this brother right here. If you're online, the number is 646-787-169. One again. That's six four six seven eight seven one six nine one. You will need to press one to let us know you want to get in. This is a remix by Taylor Place and Joe Bleeds from Square Business Entertainment. Enjoy these tunes, and we'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. I had it all back then, but I ain't even know it. I had my head all in the clouds, feeling important. She had her story. I had mine. She went crazy. I'm out my mind. What I wouldn't give. Hit rewind. One last time. One last time. So much regret. How I dealt with you. You're a package to be handled with care. You're like a candy. I let slip away. Dropping pennies in the well. Wishing you were. So I got one lift with one wish. So, yes, both of you can get in on this discussion. Now, so let me introduce Milana to you. Where y'all want to start? Go ahead. Yeah, Milana went back to Ghana, I think, in 1971. He, he's still there. And he had a lot to do with the process of the citizenship. Been working on it for okay. a long time. I've known him for a long time. So I'm going to let you and him talk. Go ahead, Milana. This is Montoya. He's a very nice young man. Uh, appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you for the compliment, even if you don't mean it. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, this, yeah, how are you, sir? I do very well, Milan. Go ahead. Uh, thanks I'm, for coming I'm on. Here, can give us some I'm here in Accra, Ghana, and it's uh, in the mid-afternoon. But anyway, uh, good afternoon to you or good morning to you. Hello? Nah, thank you for coming good on. Nah, you're, you're coming through clear. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. We definitely need insight because we had no insight on this, this question because it came up earlier for us in the show. So, yeah, if you can give us insight. Let me give you some backdrop just in case you haven't heard, and then you maybe can start here for us. 
but one of our, in a sense, one of the questions when we were, in a sense, having this discussion of whether we should move, visit, or not go, one of the thing that promptly came up was we played a cut from this one brother who talked about uh, the, the ease of citizenship, that if it was something that was, if it is part of the marketing, quote, unquote, in the year of return, that the ease of citizenship is something that should take place. And we really had no answers on, in a sense, you know, if, if if there's any difficulty, and then one last question, and I'll let you, just, you know, kind of give us what you know about it. We had another caller make a great uh, caller in a sense of, in a sense, how many, particularly for us as African Americans, are there a lot of African Americans even apl- applying? Because that will give some context on whether it's been easy or not. We we just heard that only been 46 Americans in the in the year of return that have become citizens per se, so that number alone seems kind of low, but we may not have the full context. So that's kind of what we've talked about to give you some backdrop, but yeah, please jump in and, and give us your insight. Uh, we're, we're glad to have you. Thank you, Brother Bianchi, for reaching all the way to the, across the waters to get us an expert on this discussion. Go ahead, um, Milana. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, yeah. First of all, let me, let me introduce, uh, uh, I'm the founder and CEO of uh, NGO called Ministry of the Future. And now, as far as the citizenship is concerned, do understand there's been a collective effort of many Africans of the diaspora going back to the 1950s or even beyond trying to get citizenship or to return home. But what we are talking about is not just citizenship. We have to understand that. We are descendants of the transatlantic slave trade. And we were taken out of here illegally, kidnapped. So our position to government, and I'm speaking from the horse's mouth, this, we approached the government in 1992. We approached the government in 1998. Mm-hmm. And then in 2016, I, along with the secretary to the president, was able enough to get 34. That was the first 34 collectively of Africans of the diaspora got what we call right to return. We are asking for mm. the right to return, and that is incompetent or in, incorporated in the citizenship. But it's not just citizenship. See, white, mm-hmm. white people can go and get citizenship. Chinese can go and get citizenship. But we mm-hmm. are a unique people. We are asking for a right to return. And we got it. Mm. We got it. So the right to return nice. came on the 28th of December, uh, 2016. And it was under okay. uh, the, his, the head of state, His Excellency John Ramani Mahama. He was the president then. I went to him along with the secretary to him. And I, I presented our case based upon a two-tier, a two-tier approach. One is moral and the other is economic benefit that we can bring added value to the economy, GDP of Ghana. And Ghana has a moral obligation because there were 66 slave ports during the 400-year slave trade. Mm -hmm. Ghana had 46, 46 of the 66. So either those of us who were taken out are either from Ghana or we came through Ghana within that 400-year period. So what we have been asking for, and finally government is listening, we want the right to return. And I want to make it clear, because I have a lot of colleagues here, that I was not the only one. It's a collective effort of Africans Mm -hmm. of the diaspora living in Ghana 
who are pursuing citizenship wow. under the auspices of right to return. And we were able enough. Welcome back to the Best of Mental Dialogue 2020 Part 2 as we hear a cut from our show. Ghana's year of return, should we move, visit, or not go was the question, discussion question for that particular show. Um, if you are not aware, um, 2019, if you will, um, was the year of return, and so we had that show coming right off of 2019. And uh, it was the first time, in a sense, uh, we, we went international. So uh, one of our, our our number one caller, Brother Pianchi, I don't know if he's out there listening. He typically calls in. I hadn't heard from him in the last couple of weeks. Hope hope it's all was well with that, Brother. Uh, but Brother Pianchi out of St. Louis reached out to a friend. Uh, he's a longtime international businessman, and uh, he reached out to one of his friends who played a role in even getting the, the, the as he said, the right to return in place in the country of Ghana uh, from that standpoint. And we were ultimately using Ghana because they were promoting it, uh, but it doesn't have to necessarily be Ghana in particular, but obviously that was the specific talk, so it was pretty cool to highlight that we had somebody call in live while we were on the air from Ghana uh, for that particular show. Um, but we're going to start with our queen once again, um, and just hearing that show, uh, anything that um, resonated with you, again, just hearing that cut, and as you can see, we, we're, we're very, very happy to pull that off um, on that particular show. I'm ready to return. <laughs> I love that. That was wonderful work. Okay, nah, I'm just, just blown away at, you know, the work that people do on the ground levels that we know nothing about, you know, so that's wonderful. Nah, I respect it. And again, we were running, you know, discussing it from all gamers, you know, should we move? Should we just visit? Should we, in mm-hmm. a sense, not return? And we got into the dialogue about all the, in a sense, of, there's a lot of myths associated one way or the other, or even getting into the psychology why sometimes as African-Americans, how we sometimes uh, may not, in a sense, look to return, if you will, or or even the, the ideas of Africans don't want us there. So we got into a real deep dialogue mm-hmm. into the psychology of it all. So it was a great show. I highly recommend that people go back and, and, and listen to it. Uh, I'll, I always like to kind of state my dream in reference to the idea of, in a sense, especially, you know, as 2020 end up, you know, again, uh, just kind of putting it on his face. We go through this every year where there's, you know, things happen in this country that make African-Americans start seriously considering should we remain here and things of this nature. And so I have this dream in my eyes of, in a sense, what I would in a sense, love to see us as a collective, how we would look at that. And I want to get Emil's, I call his thoughts on this as well. Uh, but my dream is that um, we understand it as a collective to a certain extent for everything that, that we deserve. Uh, I am a fan of reparations, uh, regardless of where you may fa- you know fall with that. Uh, but for everything that we deserve and everything that we can on our own uh, um, get, if you will, uh, I am a fan of making at least minimum relationships with people on the con- on you know on on the in the motherland if you will because it is difficult to continue to compete for old money uh, and 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 the reality is due to the history in this country some industries where we, sometimes we look down on our community is like well we don't own this or we're not in this and the reality is sometimes there's such a head start in various industries that trying to navigate and get the, the, 
hire in those industries can be difficult, but because the world is becoming global, there are relationships that can be made that can actually you get to compete for new money, if you will. So I, in my dream, it would be a situation where families, it would become common that maybe somebody in your family does go choose to live there, but in doing so, you keep a connection to your, your you know, to your um as and descendants who did chose not to go there. And so basically by having somebody in your own family on the ground, you can create relationships and start doing business with the continent, if that makes sense. So that's kind of my dream. Um, and so actually I think Emil had to go. So with that said, um, Queen, any thoughts about, again, my dream that it would become common for, you know, our future generations to, in a sense, it becomes normal to go and, live abroad on the continent uh, or even have somebody live there permanently, but they do it. And again, just mostly to, um, to um, create a bridge to economics, if you will. Any thoughts on that? We actually got a call or two, but I'm going to go ahead and okay, get your thoughts on, on that dream of mine before I go to the call. That's a great dream. That's a great dream. I'm all about dreams for sure. Um, but I think it's a good idea. You know, we definitely need to bridge you know, the gap there. So I think that's a very important, um, you know, idea for us to be able to return for those that, you know, would like that opportunity. Uh, fair enough. I got a meal back in real quick, and then I got another call as well. All right, Emil, we got we about, got you knocked off. We got somebody about to knock you off, so I'm going to give you one last thought um, in reference to that show, again, which was um, – well, um, Ghana's year of return, should we move, visit, or not go? So any thoughts? Again, just highlighting that cut where we got the brother coming on from um, Accra, Ghana at the time. Yeah, uh, Milana was beautiful, and the work he did is, is actually, like, groundbreaking. But let me be clear. For most black Americans, it's just not reasonable for them to go back home and live. But it is reasonable for them to go back home and visit. And what we need to do is we need to get more of us to understand the context of our struggle here in America by going back to Accra, by going back to Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. by going back to Ethiopia, and seeing where we came from and connecting with the soil and the people, connecting with the land, and understanding that this 400-year existence in this country is not the sole limit of our presence on the planet. And once we get right. that, then we can make some decisions mm-hmm. about how we're going to proceed in our future. The greatest opportunity to grow wealth, generational wealth, is to go back home. Let's be very clear. There is more opportunity there than in America, and there's a lot of opportunity here. But the opportunity in, in Ghana, in, in Sierra Leone, in uh, Cote d'Ivoire, is much more raw. It is not as refined as it is here. That means it's going to take more work, but the work will have a greater result. And that's the beauty of going home. You can see what people are doing and how they're doing and how they're growing themselves into formidable economic engines that can compete with the West, that can compete with America, that can compete with white people and make some decisions as to how you want to do that either here or if you are so moved, go, to, uh, go back home and facilitate your own success under terms that are much more favorable to a black person than they are in America. Is that, is that for everybody? Of course not. But the more of us who visit, the more of us can make a better decision armed with observation and fact and not just on the word of others. Even the work of someone mm-hmm. like Milana, who was doing so much for, on our behalf, 
you can go there and see it for yourself and make a decision, do I really want to put this work in, knowing that the result will be greater than if I stay here in America? To me, you've got to visit before you can do anything. Nah, I love it. And um, just one key point before we move on to another cut. We've got another caller, so we'll be knocking you off a meal. Thank you, man. You've been excellent. Yes, sir. Uh, but the one other thing that kind of speaks to what you said when you initially um, commented, and uh, Brother Pianchi, for example, the guy, again, he was the one that was fortunate enough to even get me that connection live on the air. Uh, but he was adamant during the show, and I agree with this. He was like, ultimately, with the opportunity that we do have here in America, again, some people may not look at it that way, but he was just saying the smart way is you, you need to be successful here, have a home base there before you actually look to actually living or moving there. Like you said, take the visit or whatever, but he was just kind of like, ultimately he says, don't be, don't have the wool over your eyes to where you're saying, well, I'm not having, I'm, I'm not having success here. Let me jump and go over there where things are totally different. You don't know the lay of the land. And he's saying that, Hey, create some success here and he was able to do that as well because of favorable because there's a, there's right now we still have currently favorable trade agreements with Western Africa that a lot of business people don't know about so he was actually able to do better by trading with West Africa than even going out east if you will um so that was just something that he constantly talked about so i think it kind of speaks to what you're saying just do your diligence and again brother piaki would also recommend have some success here and then use this as your base and then go create and build those bridges across the water so I love that thought. Thank you, Emil, for your great three cents this morning. My pleasure. Thank you, King. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Amber. Y'all keep keep Happy doing what New you're Year. doing. I wanted to open the year with you, man. Love it. Yeah. Hey, thank you for doing it, brother. Thanks yeah, you always bring it when you come. No, nah, absolutely. Let me go to the next caller and see if we've got a new co-host. And if you're out there listening on the line, you have to press 1 to let us know you want to speak. The number to get in is 646-787-1691. Area code 504, last 3065. Give us your name and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, God bless you, all, and Happy New Year to you. This is uh, Eric Collins. Happy New yeah, Year. I'm, hey, where are you, you calling us from, if you don't mind asking? Yeah, New Orleans. Okay, okay. Eric got a New Orleans. Yeah, I remember you. Yeah, what you got for us, King? Right. Yeah, you can jump in wherever you fit in, King. Again, you know, you was yeah. The fact you called in last week, so you know how this show works. You know, we just kind of jumping around on different <laughs> topics, so you can kind of touch which, whichever cut you've heard. You can touch whichever one you want to touch, brother. Go ahead. Uh, yes, I'm very excited to hear about the just African Americans even consider considering you know going to visit because you know not too long ago not too many people were talking about even visiting or even going to live there but i'm glad that the situations are arising now where we are giving that consideration uh, because you know you have internationally you have everybody interested in going to africa whether it's um, the chinese uh, europeans for centuries have exploited africa uh you have indians from the, the country of india going to africa uh, so everyone the value and the benefit of the continent, the motherland, and not just for us to go over there to exploit them and to take uh, what benefits and riches they may have, but to work with them and them blessing us with their talents and gifts and us blessing them with our talents and gifts that we can have that that bond and that relationship, as you mentioned. So Mm -hmm. I think it's very important that we uh, take advantage in a positive way of this opportunity because I was listening to a show also, and they were saying that you know, the Africans want to do business. I'm not saying 100% because nothing's 100% mm-hmm. life, generally, but 
They're, right, they exactly. do look favorably of wanting to do business with African Americans as opposed to other ethnic groups or other races. They want to give us the advantage as opposed to other groups. So I think that's a very uh, positive thing to hear. And as as you all have mentioned also, you know, we have to always look things in, in a very realistic way. There may be some people who may not be as excited about us coming there, and there may be some people here in the United States who may not be excited about going there, but we at least owe it to ourselves to consider the, the possibilities of what can come about from this. So I think it's, uh, it's very exciting to hear about this and, and the possibilities that can benefit them and also benefit us. So it's, it's good to hear, I'll tell you. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I'll, I'll go all the way back to the Michael Banks quote, quote, you know, you can't hate the uh, leaves of a tree without, you know, if you don't hate the roots or whatever. And so just the idea right. um, being explored is a, is, a, is a step in the right direction. And as you said, nothing's 100% across the board. You know, getting that particular show, we dialogue, dialogued about it all. Really, there was another show that mm-hmm. I did where we went even really deeper into the psychology a couple of years ago, which was what do Africans think of African-Americans? Um, that's one mm-hmm. that y'all, you know, if you're out there on, if you got, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, that's one that you should look up. Um, it's from a few years back, and it was one of the deepest ones that ever just really gave, a, in my opinion, a very fair context of how where the different mindsets, where the riff was created. Uh, we had on Dr. Mm-hmm. Massa Bilal King, if I remember, and then he was just really breaking down. He's a sociology professor here in, um, at the HBCU, married to a Ghanaian woman, and so he just went so in-depth to where the concepts, where we even got divided, how it came about. So highly recommend people go find that show. Again, this is the best of 2020. That show was a few years back. But, um, yeah, what do Africans think of African-Americans? Look that up on any of your podcasts. And, you know, they're listening. Go, sh- you know, share this show right now with people. We are at the top of the hour. Um, so we're going to keep you on to somebody else knocks you off as long as your time is available. Um, we're going to go to another, The again, this new remix by Taylor Pace featuring Joe Bleeds one last time. Enjoy this cut. And we'll We'll come back out with another cut from another show. Um, what the fuck is polyamory? So that was one of our shows. We do the questions people are afraid to ask. That's what we're known for. So we're about to turn up a little bit with this next uh, subject matter. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think.
come to I mean, did you come to this conclusion within the construct of a polyamorous amorous relationship? Like did you were you already involved in a polyamorous situation when you realized this is what feels best for me? Or was it um you were in a monogamous relationship and you were just like, This isn't enough. I feel like I need more and then you had to have that conversation with the person you were with. Absolutely. Yeah. D. Yeah, D, that's that's exactly what happened. Um literally had no clue um until I was in the confines of that monogamous relationship. Um, literally it was a fifteen year relationship. Um and after you know, um, the, uh, I'll say five years into the 11 and a half year marriage is when I started to to realize it, you know, um, that it wasn't, I wasn't fulfilled and um, like something was missing. And I, I basically, it came to my awareness in a major way because I had caught feelings for, um, you know, someone that I, someone else that I knew. And, and I was like caught off guard by that because I was under the belief that once you had that person that you, you know, everything was great. Like my situation was really good. Like I had no complaints. Um, and I'm like, well, how come I have feelings for someone else? Like that's not supposed to happen. Like once you have that one person that you, everything is good, you know, um, you're not supposed to have feelings for anyone else, but I did. And, and I, it caught me off guard. I'm like, this and I, I began to, at that point, that's when I began to look it up because I had no desire to, like, cheat or anything like that. Like, I was totally committed, solid. So I began to question myself, like, what's going on? And I literally Googled, can you love two people at the same time? And when I, when I did that, that's when I got introduced to that term. And when I started reading about people's experiences and I started reading about what the term meant, I was just like, yo, that's me. Like, that's what I was feeling. And, um, you know, I began to suppress it. Uh, you know, I definitely went to my, my, my partner at that time and let her know because my commitment in that situation was, you know, I would never cheat, um, and I, I wanted to stay true to that. So instead of, instead of cheating, I just had a conversation with her about it, and that led to counseling. And literally I went in and out of counseling for six years um, trying to suppress it, and it just got it – was, it was hard. It was really, really hard, and um, – I got to the point where I couldn't suppress it anymore, and I had to be myself, and, um, you know, that's when the, the marriage ended. <clears throat> let me ask a quick question here, Chris. I'm pretty sure you have uh, another one, and I'll let you get back in. But just a quick question. Uh, when you say you went to counseling for six years, you had a concept of suppressing it. Um, in the counseling, you know, I don't know if you went through several counselors or anything of that nature, but if you could add, just kind of tell me real quickly in the sense that the counselors are, against, I guess, trying to assist you to ensure that, you know, obviously your wishes were to make it work with your uh, with your wife at the time. So what was, mm-hmm. was, the, was the counselor giving some type of advice of how you might could, quote, unquote, suppress it? Or I don't even know if that's the right word, of the, if that's how the counselor dealt with it. But I'm interested in the professional's perspective on how you might could deal with it if this you know, with this real feeling inside of yourself that you're trying to get counseling right. on, what perspective was the professional even trying to offer, if you will? And then, Christy, you can come back, and then we'll get to Brother Unk um, after um, Christy goes, um, goes again. Go ahead, Dr. Sunjabi. Yeah, so the first count- the interesting thing is the first counselor I went to had no idea what it was. Um, and it was actually uh, <laughs> a counseling program attached to a church. So the only context she could bring in was, like, sex addiction. And her initial, her initial, um, like, 
lane that she wanted to go down was like, are you a sex addict? Um, like that was the only thing that it could be tied to. Like maybe you're, you use the term in your description, insatiable. Like, you know, you just want more. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're insatiable. And it's like, nah, that's not it. And I remember like researching, like, okay, I was, I was down to do whatever because I wanted to make my, my, you know, my family situation work. So I said, okay, I'm, I'm willing. If that's what we got to do. Then I'm going to go down that road. And the more I looked into what that was, I'm like, ah, that's not me. Like the, the behaviors and some of the uh, indicators of what sex addiction is, I'm like, ah, that's not it. That's not, that's not what I'm feeling. Um, you know, and I won't get in deep into what it is, but I'll just say a lot of sex addicts, like they do really reckless stuff to, you know, mm-hmm. quench that thirst. And I had mm-hmm. no desire to do anything reckless. Um, and I would run like mental simulations through my head. And it wasn't the aspect of, I, I was able to like understand about myself, have this level of self-awareness where it wasn't about sex primarily. I had, I desired relationship. I desired that connection with someone else. I desired to, like, I had a greater capacity for love. And it was like, I didn't feel right. Um, I felt like my love was being suppressed, and I had the desire to give and receive more love. That was that was the driving force. That was what centered it for me. Um, so that's when I realized that wasn't it. And then eventually I made my way to um, someone that was a counselor that had experience with polyamory, and um, she happened to be polyamorous herself. And, again, the goal was, and she asked me very clearly, like, you know, what is your goal? And is the goal to maintain your relationship? And once I said yes, then she just took an approach of, okay, these are some things you can possibly do to stay focused mm-hmm. on and maintain your current situation. And that's kind of the approach we took. And I, and I, I bought in. And I, I really tried. I really, really tried. But mm-hmm. it was, um, it got to the point where, you know, my, my true nature just, it just overruled everything, and I began to, like, I had to have, like, negative self-talk. I had to, like, tell myself I was a bad person for having these thoughts. I had to tell myself I had some really dark mm. thoughts, I'll just put it that way. I, I began to have some really dark thoughts. I would lay my head on the pillow at night and feel so, like, just incomplete, conflicted. Like, how can I mm. enjoy this person next to me and love this person next to me with all this in me? but still lay my head on the pillow at night and feel a void and feel incomplete and feel like I'm, I'm living a lie. And, um, it, again, over the course of years, that became really hard. And just to give you all some more context, like I would go to one of my closest friends who, who actually was um, uh, polygynous. He had multiple wives. He's a Muslim. He had multiple wives. I would talk to him about the situation. And he's like, well, is there another woman? And at this point, like, there wasn't. There was never another woman, but I would still have these thoughts. And it was like, that's how you know it was real for me. A lot of people, you know, I think that's mm-hmm. what makes my situation unique. Like, I dealt with this stress and this frustration and this void, and, and I'm, I'm using words. And sometimes you can't even use words to explain what I'm mm-hmm. using. I'm using the best mm-hmm. words I can. But I'm telling you all, the words that I'm using don't do justice, justice to what I was feeling on the inside. And, um, you know, and, and that was the thing. He was like, I would get to this point where I had, like, this bubbling up of anxiety and and, like, feelings where I would have to go back into counseling because it was like, I can't hold it anymore. I was about to explode. And then I would go back into counseling, and then I would talk to someone, and then they would, like, give me some more months to suppress it. And it was just like, again, mm-hmm. that, that, that cycle every, you know, every year for six years was, like, getting to a boiling point. And he couldn't understand it. He's like, how are you feeling this? And there's not even no other woman, like, quote, unquote, tempting you. It was internal. I 
Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. This is the best of Mental Dialogue 2020 Part 2. Uh, we got co-host Eric on the line. If you want to be a co-host, call in and press 1. My co-host Amber Page, we always start off with you, Queen. So I don't know if that's if you caught that show this past year, but it was obviously, as you could tell, a very deep show. So we're featuring Dr. Sanjata, uh, a brother who unfortunately went through that the experience of recognizing and realizing or discovering that he was uh, polyamorous in nature uh, and literally it broke up his marriage and you heard his unique perspective. It wasn't the typical things that, uh, you know, people might think and sometimes, you know, people confuse polyamory with some of the other terms out there because poly has a lot of terms and, and I'm going to try to do a simple justice of, you know, just, it's really just people who seek relationships uh, and monogamy doesn't really work from there. I think that's the simplest way to describe it. Uh, I, even on that show, we, we went in details over the de- definitions, and when I listened to the show again, I had actually messed it up. So, uh, but again, that's just a general concept of what it is. But when you hear that cut, uh, anything in particular that stood out uh, for you, because, again, we hear this term thrown around a lot more today in reference to some of the first hour conversation, right, the idea of, you know, more children born on the way, lots of people throw out these different ideas for what makes sense for us as an African-American culture. And so because that conversation was happening so often, I wanted to distinctively talk about polyamory in particular, and that show ended up being an excellent one as well. But go ahead, Queen. Any thoughts on that cut? I I still don't think I understand what it is to be polyamorous. That's that's, yeah, I mean, that's fact, the name of the show. It's WTF, kind of yeah, what I is get polyamory? It. I just, I still don't <laughs> get it. <laughs> nah, that's fair. That's fair. I might try to look for the uh, actual definition of uh, it. Huh? Uh, oh, now go ahead, Queen. I, I thought you were finished. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say that you know, it sounds like we're standard a lot of times. So now it has a term associated with it. Uh, I can respect that. Eric, any thoughts before we got about a minute and a half for the next break and the next cut? So I'm going to let you jump in here real quick as well. Let me bring you back live. Again, anybody out there wants to go live, you got to press one. We got several live callers on the line. Um, go ahead, Eric. What you got for us, King? Yeah, I was interested in what his definition of love is. Uh, how fulfilling was this relationship that he was in with his uh, wife at that point in time? Yeah, he loved, so many, he, he loved her to death. He loved her to death. Yeah, yeah. Still loves her to this yeah. day. Right, right. And to me, that being the point, it, to me, it's like it would be difficult to have much more love for another person if, it's, if there's so much depth and love that the current relationship that you already have, you know, how can there be much left over for anybody else or a couple of other people? Yeah, what's know? left? But, what's remaining? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I would tell you them. for that particular show, yeah, I would tell you for that particular show, we even had a sister who called in who was in a poly, who was married and in a polyamorous relationship. And, um, you know, for them, it makes sense. I I don't know. The reality is, is it's not a, 
you know, from what from what we can somewhat tell, it's not a lot. You know, the reason we can't understand it because we're not that way. I don't think most humans are built that way. Uh, I think they end up being a unique population, but I definitely came to recognize how it really was, obviously from talking to Dr. Sanjata as well as some of the callers that called in and kind of gave, the, gave us their real-life stories, and they were all real adamant to to push away, you know, the idea of people that were being exploited with it, um, and not so much polyamory, but they don't they just don't like get thrown in the box with poly, with polygamy and polygynous and all that type of things. There's so many terms they all mean something distinctly. That polyamorous is kind of a, a big umbrella for all of those distinct parts, if you will, and that's and even that's not a fair definition. Um, but for them, you know, clearly as you heard him tell that he literally wasn't even cheating and couldn't and was overwhelmed to the point where he was trying to go to counseling and eventually uh, you know I, kn- I know this brother and him and his wife just they had to, for them was just a, you know two I think it's a sad thing because I'm always encouraging that marriages stay together especially there they were not you know it became the issue of course and so now they you know they've separated or whatever but um but yeah it's it's definitely an, an, another great show to listen to what the WTF is polyamory. So go look that show up as well. We are up against uh, my next break. We will be playing another cut again. This is the best of mental dialogue 2020. Uh, see you callers out there. If you want to get in on the show and become a co-host with us, got Eric riding with us right now. Appreciate you King. Um, the number to get in is six, four, six, seven, eight, seven, one, six, nine, one. You have to press one to let us know you want to speak. We'll be right back. Where all I ask is that you think. Big Sis Media Group is a full-service design agency with tools available to help clients communicate with audiences through visual and digital media. So what exactly does that mean? You need graphic design? Call Big Sis Media. You need web design? Call Big Sis Media. You need audio or video production? Call Big Sis Media. You need a branded strategy for your business? Call Big Sis Media. Damn, they do everything, don't they? Nope, even better. They're professionals. Whatever service you need, they do a consultation, send over a contract with a deadline, and meet that deadline. A true one-stop shop for all your digital and media needs, all at an affordable price. What's their website and phone number? BigSysMediaGroup.com. 404-465-4348. Again, that's BigSysMediaGroup.com. Dot com. Call them at 404-465-4348. Montoya, this is Mickey Dowd out of Arlington, Texas. How you doing, my brother? Hey, what's up, Mickey Dowd? How you doing, King? What you got for us this morning? Yeah, man, I've been listening, man. I appreciate the topic. Um, I just, I hear a um, very sensitive topic being discussed. Um, and address in in secular terms and not, not in a very biblical or Christian sense. So, you know, that's my paradigm. So what I would say is um, in terms of the negative connotation, it's not negative to me at all. Actually, I get it from a mass public perspective that, yes, it's usually uh, viewed that way. But for me, it's a very positive thing because the biblical definition of submission starts first and foremost with first and foremost with one submitting to God. And if the, the husband and the wife can, can do that successfully, then you're now being led by the Holy Spirit that will allow you to feel comfortable in being vulnerable. That's the key word I want to bring out of this, and being willing to serve. So a, a woman that sees her man submit to God uh, and he's being led that way, he can now then emulate the behavior 
uh, or be led, his behavior is now led by by the Holy Spirit, and the woman will receive that in a more spiritual sense. The reason that's important is that it's not about, that's why it's completely inconsistent with some of the, the verbiage and the, the words that I've heard, like, you know, kind of being a dictator or a tyrant and telling them what to do. Um, it's not about that. It's about serving your spouse and making and to bring out the best in them spiritually, uh, to to provide for them and to protect them. But you're also the pastor of that household, so that is leading them spiritually, and that will allow them to be more comfortable. And she would then in turn submit to you because she knows that you are being led by something greater. That is that superior force that I think the brother mentioned earlier, but it wasn't presented in a in a in a in a biblical sense, that superior force being God, the superior force is not the man. So if the man submits first, he is now enabled to, to be vulnerable and serve his wife properly. Um, and I just wanted to throw that two cents out there. Now, three cents, King. You know how we do. Mustafa, I'm going to let you respond first. Go ahead, King. Uh, um, I guess the first thing that, that I have to point out is we have to accept and assume that Everybody's not Christian, everybody's not Muslim, everybody doesn't follow the same religious paradigm. That's very important, first point to point out. Second very important point, man submits to a higher power, God, got it, whatever you want to call it. Woman also submits to a higher power, God, got it. What I'm hearing is, and I hear this a lot, that the man, the man should submit to God, and thus the woman will want to submit to man. No, that is not the way I see it, I think we all have to submit to the higher power as we know it, and then we will be more agreeable to one another, more respectful of one another. But when you say if, and I think, again, that comes from that whole Eurocentric idea of a white male sky god, I just got to call it like it is, the reality is, and I'm going to what my brother is saying about the African tradition, and I do want to go further back maybe than even he's referring to. In the original ancient African context, there was a feminine component of God, God and a masculine component of God. So we want to be very careful that we don't make assumptions that, well, if we would just follow Christianity or just follow Islam or just, well, that's not the way the society is made up. People believe differently. But if we can just come from a basic foundation of complementarity, as I said, we are one and respect each other in those terms. For me, in my household, that is that is what is worth for me. In fact, my wife, when we met, she was from the Christian. She's not a Christian now, but she was from the Christian. Her father was a preacher. I came in as a Muslim. But we're both evolving all along. It's been 39 years since we met. And now I'm leaning more towards a deep awareness of our ancient, ancient African spirituality, which is where all of these religions come from in the first place. So I just think we should be very careful that we don't assume that if we just throw religion into the mix, that's going to solve all the problems. Let me respond to that, please. Now, strong points. Let me say this. I'm going to let um, Yale respond, and Mickey, I'll give you a response as well. Um, so um, great point, Mustafa. One thing I will share, and I think this was a big part of what I heard Mickey saying, him throwing it out there, and then, yeah, you can respond. He was just still offering, even within his own belief, um, but he, he doesn't find himself dictating or demanding of his significant other. So I guess they've been able to make it work within the context of their relationship because it doesn't include 
a lot of things that we automatically connect to the negativity of the, as he said, the secular definition of submission. He sees it in a way that it doesn't include those things. So I think that's one of his major points. Just to throw it out there, but respect, also a great point. Yeah, yeah, great, yeah, great, yeah, great point to highlight that again. You know, we're having this show in America where there's all types of religions, if you will. So great point. Yeah, any response to really more, if you will, focus on Mickey's thoughts. Cause I want him to be able to respond before I go to the next caller. Go ahead, yeah. Well, first off, I'll say I, res- I uh, respect his uh, his beliefs, um, but I will say, um, you know, in what he's saying, I can understand where he's coming from, but in in for he being an African and being an African spiritual person who is, who, you know, in tune with it, um, for the way it is for us is that for a man, he submits to his to the God, which is the goddess, which is the woman, because he's already masculine. He's already pre- predominantly masculine, so he needs to submit to the internal energy of the goddess of the woman, and vice versa. That's how it like is that. for us in African spiritual. Both of them like are gods, the goddesses. They both have to submit to each other they, because they both have their element, their strong point. So she submits to the masculine God, which is the man, and the man submits to the to the feminine which is the woman, and that's how you work like together. Um, because like you can't that. have creation without both of them. You know, Beautiful. nothing can get created without no, both of them. Strong points. Let me let, I got some other callers, so let me jump in. Uh, Mickey, um, thanks for your three cents. Um, any re- quick response to either of the brothers or just yeah. anything you want to say before I go to the next call? Yeah, I think this brother Mustafa, if I'm saying his name correct, I apologize. Yep, yeah, correct. Um, yeah, I, I think he really misunderstood what I said. I, initially, when I opened it up, I said both the man and the woman would certainly submit to God. and they're, But I described it from the male's perspective because that's what we're doing today. But they're both acting in a similar regard in terms of their submission. They both would then become vulnerable and then both serve one another. Um, he mentioned that everyone's not Christian. I agree. But everyone's also not Muslim or African as well. So uh, I'm just offering my perspective. I respect where you're coming from. But I just think for me it's definitely a biblical and Christian uh, concept. Um, and that's, the, to me, the most effective way to to, to uh, support or define what submission is. No, nah, fair enough. You know, we welcome all opinions and Respect. all perspectives on this show, so thank you for your three cents, King. Respect. Yep. Absolutely. Welcome back to the Best of Mentor Dialogue 2020. Is That's a cut from submission and marriage. What does it really mean? The men's viewpoint last week in part one, uh, the, the ladies' viewpoint slightly. Um, they both did great numbers for the year. They're t- both in my top ten for the year, um, but we didn't get to play the men, so I wanted to make sure I brought that back this week. Um, again, Once again, Amber, we're going to start with you, Queen. A um, lot said in that cut, um, uh, and I think it really highlights our ability to, to, to do dialogue. Again, we don't necessarily uh, – we welcome passion. We welcome differences of opinions, differences of agreement, um, but we, we have the ability to dialogue with seems to be missing uh, out here in the public today, but I think we, that shows a good example of people having different faith systems, three different faith systems within that cut, um, but also able to have the dialogue without getting caught up in the dogma of the religion. So I wanted to highlight that as well. But any thoughts from you, Queen, in hearing that cut, anything that stood out to you? Um, what stood out to me is the idea that the man and the woman both have to submit to God first. And then we have to be able to look at the other person um, to see uh, what we can do to assist them 
And I just think that it goes back to the first couple of cuts, um, the one about the woman being able to express her femininity. Um, I think that that's a way that we can return back to, um, well, eliminate, you know, this gender war um, and, you know, start as a place of, of starting to heal. Um, so I, I, I really enjoyed that one. Absolutely. We got Eric on the line for anybody out there listening. All right. Now you have to press one. If you want to become our new co-host, if you're online listening, the number to get in is 646-787-1691. Again, that's 646-787-1691. If you're listening online, make sure you're sharing it on Facebook. I always forget to say that, but share the show. Let people hear what we're doing. Um, Eric, give us your three cents on that cut from the show. Again, submission in marriage. What does it really mean? That was the men's viewpoint. it was an all men. It was a we had a two part series. We did a, uh, a show where it was all ladies. I wasn't even on the show myself. And then the next week I followed up and we did a men's viewpoint on submission and marriage. So anything that stood out to you in that particular cut? But thanks for being with us, Eric. Yeah, yeah. We you know we always hear about um, submitting to God, whether it's male or female. But I, I thought it was interesting in terms of people looking at respect of how how males should uh, I guess acknowledge and worship the. Uh, Female or the female aspect of himself, and how the female should worship and uh, the male and the, the male aspect of herself, and then worship the male also. So just acknowledging and, and um, respecting the, the opposite sex, of course, and also the opposite sex characteristics, I guess, that's in each particular person, whether you're male or female. So I thought that was interesting in terms of how the uh, three different perspectives sort of came together at the end there. So. It gives me something to think about also. Hey, that's our motto. All I ask is that you think. Um, ultimately, you know, people always talk about the concept of, in a sense, uh, you know, all you do is talk and things of that nature. And I'm like, well, no, if you drop the right seeds, people can, you know, I always say if you if you don't think right, you can't act right. And so definitely an opportunity to think about though, that particular topic from a, uh, from a various perspective. And I think it was on that particular show. I may be wrong, but I just mentioned the idea of, um, again, you keep hearing this term complementary in reference to the man woman role as you can see this is a these are some of our top shows i literally was pulling from my top shows so these are the shows that get the most listens to um from the two seekers as i call all my listeners so these are the shows that resonate with them and i think it may have been oh if it wasn't that show i wanted to bring this point to this to this point um real quick before we go to the next break it's just the idea of just respecting roles and i always like to highlight this quick example that if if i was fortunate enough to have a a a a, a a boy and a girl, right, for children, and let's say my girl was the oldest and my boy was a year or two younger, I still would train him up in understanding who she is and what his sister is to him. I would still train him with the responsibility of having to protect her and in the you know, in the event of a, you know, life or death situation, which obviously you would never want to wish on your family, I would expect my son to step up and protect and lead because that also is a idea of submission, submission to her feminine and her role as being the vessel that brings earth, brings life into the earth, takes our seed, she brings it through her room, her room, her vessel. And so that's why, in a sense, you submitting to your manhood role of being the protector will require my son to then protect his sister in the event that that situation happens. I always like to use that little example to highlight the roles matter despite 
all of this stuff that we hear in this new age thinking that just dismisses dismisses the differences that are kind of natural to us in a lot of cases. May not apply across, 100% across the board, but I'm definitely not in a world where we're so devoid of it that, as we mentioned, like you said, Amber, from the beginning of this show, that now we have our sisters pressing forward and being strong in a manner that doesn't that makes that makes them work too hard. That 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 doesn't even allow, in a sense, allow in a sense, men to play their role. And, again, we need to get, you know, back focused on the foundation, get the family structure back together so that we can learn it naturally. In the meantime, we got to have these dialogues to see if we can get back to some forms of culture, if that makes sense. All right, we are up against another break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. This cut comes from... Should we defund the police or not? So this would be a very interesting, obviously going in a completely different direction, um, but that's where this cut comes from. For more information, see y'all. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group, focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways, every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. Then the police came, (laughs) I went in the house. Because they got magnums too. And they don't kill cars. They kill niggas. Police got a chokehold they use out here, though, man. They choke niggas to death. That means you be dead when they through. Right? You, did you know that? Wait, the niggas going, yeah, we know why. No, I had no idea. Break a nigger? Is it okay? Let's check the menu. Yep, page eight. You can break a nigger right there. See? Let's, let's drag him downtown. Okay. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, aka Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Shadon Reynolds, our special guest Okibu Diablo, as well as Oshun Ojo. Thank y'all all for being with us. We hear a cut from Richard Pryor, um, greatest comedian of all time, in my opinion. Uh, just kind of opening up again this morning's discussion, should we defund the police or not? And real quick, um, Tredon, you already kind of mentioned that, uh, you know, people didn't understand this. So you just had a quick, if you will, just give, give me a, a quick thought on your further understanding of it, and then I'm going to go to Oshun, who has a deep background in it, to kind of, you know, break it down, if you will. Uh, but go ahead, Queen. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, in in its simplest terms is that, People don't respond to things affect them, right? And so defunding the police department is not necessarily an act of, oh, let's just strip them of their uh, funding and the supplies they need. That's not what we're saying. We're saying we need to break this system down because it is not functioning properly, and it needs to be not rebuilt but built over with the community that it is serving. 
the police department doesn't seem to understand the community that they serve. In turn, they view us as animals. And so um, there's two pieces for me. One, I think that we need to break it down and rebuild from scratch and redevelop the foundation and funding impacts that. But also um, Dick Gregory years ago talked about the importance of making sure there's something that they lose, right? So I've always said that the police are underpaid, but let's start connecting it to things that matter to them. What Dick Gregory talked about, for example, is what if we pay for their children to go to school? And in turn, if they did something wrong or broke the law or what have you, then they would lose that money. So it's not that they will ever care about us in some cases, but they care about their own. And if we're taking things away, it impacts their bottom line in turn will caution, uh, caution them to respond to us differently. Uh, sounds good. Let me give a quick definition. I don't know if this is the exact definition, but something I saw real quick, and Oshun will go to you to break it down from your perspective, but just something I saw in Rolling Stone, for example, it said defunding the police does not mean stripping a department entirely of its budget or abolishing it altogether. It's just about scaling police budgets back and reallocating those resources to other agencies. Um, a lot of what we um, advocate for is an investment in community service, education, medical access. Uh, you can call it defunding, but it's just about directing or balancing the budget in a different way. Um, your thoughts on defunding the police from the way you understand it. Go ahead, Queen. Um, Ms. Reynolds, I love you. I, I, I think that um, her assessment is on point. I do want to make the, the distinction that um, the sister said that the system is not functioning, and, and I want to say to that, it is. It's functioning exactly the way that it was in, intended to function. Um, the, the police force began in America as um, runaway slave catchers and slave patrols, bounty hunters. In my state, in the state of Texas, the Texas, Texas Rangers were hired henchmen whose express purpose was to eradicate the, the indigenous population. So to that I say, yes, they are functioning the way that they should function. Um, which is why we need to eradicate them. Um, I don't think it's a question of uh, reforming the police because the police, their intention is to be an extension of the state and oppress the people, black people specifically, in order to reinforce hierarchies that have been implemented by the state, social hierarchies and, and um, all other sorts of hierarchies, right? Um, so, yes, yeah, to that point I want to say that. Yes, it is functioning the way that it should, and that's why it needs to be dismantled. Um, the second point that okay. I want to make is that oh, yes, no, please go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, is that yes? Uh, what you said about defunding um, is something that people generally don't understand. We don't want to abolish the police. Well, in my in my case, I do because um, I'm a bit of you know a radical. So when we talk about abolishment of the state, we're talking about abolishment of all the arms of the state, including the police. But that can't happen overnight. And so the first thing that we can do um, on, the, on the road to autonomy as black people is to take control, community control over the police. And so when we talk about defunding the police, we're talking about taking a budget of nearly $200 billion annually just on police spending, not counting what police spend on uh, police misconduct and all kinds of other things, and reallocating those expenses in the community where they can be used to empower the people, thereby reducing crime. Uh, sounds good. Before I keep, I, I got your words that you posted um, this week. I wanted to share them with the 
um, audience, if you will, uh, but definitely speaking to the idea of Oshun, as she said, for her personally, she's actually going as far as, in a sense, dismantling or disbanding, which is something you spoke to this week, um, but also distinguished she understood the difference, you know, between what her wishes are and defunding, which, again, defunding itself, as we've explained, is not, in a sense, getting rid of the police, as some people have kind of maybe mistook the definition. But what you said this week in reference to those who did believe that or think that's what, it's mean, what it means or even are calling for it, um, your words this week were um, all this talk of disbanding the police will just, I'm sorry, will uh, just turn into the private security companies getting contracts. They will hire the same police and have less legal account- accountability. Uh, I think that's a strong thought, but, of course, I'll let you explain it yourself. Uh, go ahead, Ken. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue. Hope y'all are enjoying the best of Mental Dialogue 2020. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with Amber Page. We have a caller on the line with us, um, Eric out of Louisiana. I see another caller out there. You do have to press one if you want to get on this discussion and, and knock Eric off. He's been rocking with us the whole time. But as usual, I'll start with you, Queen. Um, Amber, your thoughts on um, the cut? As we do have another call about to knock you off, Eric, so I'll give you one last thought as well. But go ahead, um, Amber, any thoughts on the cut you just heard? I just um, wanted to just emphasize what Shardon said about um, uh, being able to reallocate some of the uh, funding that, you know, just goes, you know, for um, departments reallocating some of those funds back into the community is absolutely essential um, to, you know, reducing crime, you know, um, hopefully creating situations where, you know, firearms aren't necessarily needed, you know. So I I just wanted to emphasize that. No, absolutely. Yeah, definitely funding can definitely be allocated to a lot of front-end prevention type stuff. Um, you know, people have different thoughts about, in a sense, you know, how more, how well more policing works, if you will. Um, and in my studies and things of that nature, more policing doesn't necessarily decrease crime. Uh, you know, and there, but there are people who have the other side of it. The other side of it, again, to be fair, uh, people look at New York City and, you know, in a sense what they went through with their stop and frisk tactics, and there are two ways to look at it, you know, and it, it has become, in a sense, the safest, largest city in the country. And so a lot of people look at the the police tactics as a as a means to that, and I'm just putting it out there to be fair to that train of thought because that's what we do here. Uh, we don't, have, you know, we can dig in with the callers if they want. Eric, I'll give you one last comment. We got we about to knock you out for another um, co-host, but go ahead, King. Um, give us your last three cents for this morning. Thank you for riding with us this morning. Uh, yes, quickly. Uh, I use the term worship, uh, uh, feminine self, uh, male self, and the female and males, but. Not that we worship each other, but we should submit to each other. I used the wrong words there. But I think that's uh, all good, brother. Uh, thanks. In traditional African societies, there were no prisons and no jails because people conducted themselves in a way, and, and the villages and communities handled um, behavior that was not acceptable in a way in which uh, I guess there were certain consequences, but there was no really a need for jails or prisons. Nowadays, if, if we do get rid of police, I think we have to have a system to substitute, you know, what do what do we do with individuals who are having difficulties uh, 
carrying themselves in a way that's not going to be detrimental to themselves or harmful to other people. So I think we have to have something in place if we do get rid of police. Uh, until that time, I think uh, resources should be taken away from the police or redistributed to, say, more of your, your social work type uh, individuals or professions to handle some of the social causes and financial problems that lead to the rise in crime because social and financial um, um, difficulties or problems really leads to crime. So we have to take some of those funds from the police, I would say, reallocate it to financial and social upliftment in the community, therefore decreasing the need for the police. Nah, thank you for your three cents this morning. I'm going to let you go, King. All right, we got area code 864, last three, 244. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Peace, Brother Montoya. This is uh, Equinese. How you doing, man? Hey, how you doing? It's always Hello, good to get you morning. in, King. I know you're going to kill it with the, with your three cents, but you can jump in wherever you fit in, King. Thanks a lot for getting in with well, us. Well, basically, as as I approach the discussion with an observation as a, you know, conscious black man here in America, I think we are knowledgeable and we are aware that, you know, seeing the police as what we see it now have very familiar relationships and ties with, you know, uh, the good old boy system, uh, the slave patrol, the roundup boy, you, you know, the KKK. These are all affiliate programs that you know, it's not uncommon to see their involvement today. You understand? This is the reality. You know, so it's not. it shouldn't be a surprise. So when we're talking about, you know, how it is getting down, what it's doing, it's basically working the same way that it, that it was planned to work and designed to work. I'm more surprised at us. You know, the discussion that you guys are having, talking about the need for us to police ourselves and as I had this discussion with my aunt, who's an elder, we are not having this discussion in the church because the reality is, hands down, this is where the majority of our discussion, our communal involvement is coming in at. You understand? we we got to be honest with ourselves. This is where the most of our people are going to kind of interact with each other. Are we having these types of discussions there? We aren't. You understand? Therefore, when we when we look at Dr. John Henry Clark, our ancestor, you know, celebrated his birthday yesterday. So we, we look at what he said, that religion was created for political purposes and political reasons. So now we see the advancement. So we look at law, government, that is the politics. We look at law enforcement as basically the, the watchdogs, right? They are the guard dogs for this same thing. So it's basically running in the same manner that it has always run. This is one observation that I want to bring in as well, is that they're dumping far more money into making sure that our, our children are going to make it to the school, the prison pipeline. They put more money investing in marketing and advertising to our children saying that, hey, it's okay. If you, you, you can find some, some hope or some prosperity in being a drug dealer. That might be the only option, but, hey, Jay-Z became a billionaire by selling drugs. So this is the politics that's going into, you know, our community. So I think it is very important for us, the community, for the parents to turn, stop stop uh, the playing that Jay-Z, stop playing all this crazy music. That's one step we can take 
to now start cleaning up our community. The next thing is now going out. And hey, let me and do this before you, yeah, before you get into the next thing. We up against the break, so I'm gonna do the break, and you still be on as a co-host with us. So hey, yes, uh, yes, I'll sir. get that absolutely. thought coming out of the break. Now, nah, absolutely, now nah. appreciate you for your thoughts, King. Uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, Best of Mental Dialogue 2020 Part Two. All I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Oh, how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. Everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk. The next time somebody come at you with, with a, uh, 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 you being docile when the police come at you, well, then just ask me, well, what would you, what would you do if, if, if that police officer didn't have no, no, uh, uh, no, no, no badge on or none of that there? What if it's just a random dude with a gun? Oh, you, you, you would do different then, huh? What if the pit bull come up? Oh, you would move different then, huh? But you trying to tell these young kids to stand up to a police officer with the law on his side, and he got a gun in his hand. Man, you crazy. And let me slip, let me slip in real quick, dog. Let me say this. And what they'll say is, no, we're not telling the kids that, but then you don't agree with what I'm saying. But you're showing you them really that. are telling you're them showing that. showing them that. Well, what, what, what people don't understand is you could tell a kid one thing, but when you show him something else, he's going to do right. what he saw, not what he heard. What that do these people not understand, man? See, and then uh, you, you were referring to that video I did some years ago about uh, 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 being rebellious you know, and, and, and taking care of business. I, I, I think I said I'm, I'm being rebellious in other ways by being successful because that's what it's all about. They, they, uh, uh, they own our ass because they don't want black people to be on their game. They don't want us to be independent of them. So they keep us down. Man. Exactly, and that's all. That, uh, 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 I mean, they just keep. And so this is right. So that's, that's perfect. What you're saying, life. right there, because this, this what what we are saying right now is the game to ensure we get on our game. Like, do not lose. We don't. I don't want to lose our best leaders to a random. And, and what they and here's what they think that we don't understand. They think because we're so adamant about it. They think we actually don't understand how sometimes you are just frustrated. The cops stopped you on a bad day. Are you tired of getting harassed by the cops? They think we don't understand that. What we are saying is even with that, the discipline, the discipline has to go to the next level, and you can't get to the discipline if we don't start constantly saying to these youth, this is the way. Like, you have to teach compliance, but we feel like it's some bitch-ass shit to teach compliance. So they'll still say to me, I'm not I'm not saying don't comply, but you never teach it. 
So how the kids going to get there? Because you got to teach it to teach them to be past their emotions, teach them to, even though they may be innocent, come get get the arrest. Like people don't know that literally when they ask to take your hands with the cuff, even with you, it literally, it is legally a, 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 um, resisting if you don't give your, if you don't just give them your arms for getting cuffed. But they think I'm saying, they think exactly. I'm saying, just not to take you to jail for anything. I'm saying, if it gets to that point, like you said, resistance at that point is only going to end bad for you. Right. I mean, at that point, what can you do other than go to jail or or, or, or go to jail or die? You know what I'm saying? Because there has been a lot of incidents Bottom where line. a police officer uh, hurry up, put you in the handcuffs, and then the dude cool, and then they, you know, they might have uh, uh, jumped on you for all the wrong reasons. You know what I'm saying? But because that person didn't uh, uh, snatch away from them, this, that, and the other, or whatever, they was eventually let mm-hmm. go. Now, that, 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 that situations like that are few and far apart, but that does happen to a person who has been properly trained to deal with the police officer. Because the, the thing about, once again, remember I said about a, a, a properly trained pit bull is a good house dog, but a, 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 a a pit bull that's that, that's trained by a, a, a fighter. I mean, what what good is that? Is that pit? You know what I'm saying? So we got to exactly. go to was that police officer trained properly, and do you have the home training to go out there? Because in home uh, in home training, we told to teach our kids respect, right? Now you see a police officer and get out there. Especially if it ain't your business, like in my situation, when I first got woke up to the game, that wasn't my business. Jumped over over there and went to, went to disrespecting this dude. I brought that on me. But then, like you say, it's situations where uh, 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 police officers jump out, mistaken identity or whatever. You know what I'm saying? But at that point, hey, man, choose life. Choose right. Live today, fight tomorrow. Because at this point right now... Learn the laws. Learn the laws. Exactly. To use them in court. We're, we're learning the laws and trying to have court with the police who don't always know the laws. And they be That's in right. the wrong. And you're trying to prove a right to a motherfucker with an ego sometimes that's going to turn a situation where you thought was just going to be talking into something else. The cop's completely in the wrong. You're doing everything. You got the law on That's your right. side. But it ain't... The, the, the arrest is not a conviction. So if the law's on your side, take the arrest. Let if I'm your dad, call me and we'll come get you. Tell me what they did wrong and we'll fight this shit. If you if it so happens to be that one policeman that's got a a, a a death wish that day, it don't matter if you comply or do your thing. And those are the people who say right. what I'm saying is wrong. But if you if a motherfucker got a death wish and stops you, it's nothing you could have done anyway. But do uh-huh. not provoke okay, well, how about the mug with the ego. Do not provoke the dude with the ego by not complying, even when they're wrong. Just use the law in your favor in right court, on. not on the, on the street, not on the street. The art of war. That right there is the art of war right there. For all that's these all dudes, I'm trying to or, teach or, or, Whoever uh, 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 come at us saying that we're being docile with compliance, I say this. Read the art of war by Sun Tzu. You pick your battles. You know what I'm saying? You don't just fight right there just because somebody came at you. You might be uh, 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 on a lower level, and they coming down the hill. That's not a position for you to fight from. 
what do you do? Exactly. You retreat. You get on level ground or you get on, on higher ground and have the advantage of your, your enemy. Then you fight. Damn you right. On the streets when you got three or four police officers on you, that's not the time for you to fight. What you do is you go to jail, you get your lawyer, you get your family behind you, then you go into court with your gang. Now it's time to fight. Damn right. And with that, we gone, man. Man, I love you, man. You right on time. I got to catch this other load, man. Hey, man. All right, King. We gone. Love you. Appreciate you, Prick. Love you too, King. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with co-host Amber Page. This morning, did you hear the best of Mental Dialogue 2020? This is part two. We did it last week. We got my brother Equani out of South Carolina, rocking with us. It's only five minutes if anybody wants to knock him out and get a last thought. Uh, but that was one of my most powerful cuts I feel from the year. Uh, we started this new series called Thoughtful Rants, and uh, that was Daryl Black being a friend of mine just going back and forth. Um, unfortunately, that was after the uh, – um, situation here in, in um, Atlanta. Um, God, which the, which was the brother? Um, the brother that ended up losing his life. That sh- um, that became national news. Can't think of his name right now. I'm, I'm sorry, his mind, name slips my mind. But he um, shot the taser at the cops and they ended up killing him. I can't think of his name right now. But that was just a dialogue that he and I had about, um, in a sense, making sure we were talking to our youth about the concept of compliance, but not from the standpoint of black people need to know how to act, but just from a just from a strategy standpoint that we're not losing our lives from random police stops. And I think we have to be diligent in sharing it with our children, um, you know, our black boys and black girls, because what happens is while we see it go on, a lot of parents sometimes do fail to have the talk or and some give up on the talk because we see the situations, you know, like a George Floyd where literally, in a sense, wasn't doing much and ended up losing his life. But some people will jump to the conclusion that, see, when that happens, they're going to kill you anyway, so they never teach the, the to comply because they're going to kill you anyway, and the reality is that the numbers do not speak to that. Um, and again, me being a stats guy, I may not, I may go over them or whatever. But before I, we do that, let me get some thoughts uh, from you, Amber. This is your first time, I think, hearing that. Um, that again, that's a series that people can look up on on Mental Dialogue. When you get to the platform, look up Thoughtful Rants, and you will see 30 minutes of straight fire, no commercials, and obviously it's very raw in comparison to the regular show. Um, but any thoughts um, from you, Queen, um, on that cut? You know, I absolutely agree 100% with what you uh, shared there and now. Um, it is essential to learn compliance with authority especially in situations where there can be a weapon involved or you're outnumbered. So for sure, um, that's a conversation that, that has to be had. Yep. And it's compliance, again, not from a docile standpoint. It's as a strategy mm-hmm. because the reality right. America still, again, shows us the reality that sometimes we can be treated different. While we can fight on whatever while we can fight to try to make that fair, our reality says we have to, in a sense, take the higher ground. 
even if the cop is in the mm-hmm. wrong versus going back and forth. I see it all the time. And sometimes when I see the back and forth, while even the cop looks wrong, me being a legal studies major, sometimes I'm like, you still just don't know the law. So sometimes we're snapping and we're in the wrong in reference. And it's not talking about we as just black people. I'm just talking about in general. But do other, do other groups get to do that and get away with it? Yes. If our reality is that we don't, then we have to comply as a strategy, not as a I'll take whatever you give me type approach. Equine, uh, any thoughts right. on that, um, on, on that, King? Go ahead, brother. We only got a minute and a half. Well, well, thank you for getting in on this show. Well, with us. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think it goes back to the last discussion that we were talking about, basically talking about the importance of having standards and implementing standards, knowing how to be respectful of yourself, because a lot of times we don't need to be, whether it be disorderly conduct, we shouldn't be out acting in, in a lot of manners that might yield or warrant the police to come over. That doesn't mean that they're good guys, but we just, you know, my my grandmother used to tell me, if I don't whoop your butt, if I don't implement discipline here at the house, the police are going to whoop your butt, meaning you're going to basically now be open to, you know, those situations that come. So I definitely agree with what you guys are saying, not from a docile standpoint, but the fact that if you're a father, your main thing is should be trying to make it back home to your family. You understand? To live another day. You can fight it legally, do whatever you have to do. But implementing morals is something that we need to do in the church, the family, on the street corner, now to get us to that place of policing ourselves so we can understand what justice will order, what truth looks like in the hands of us. Hey, I love it. Thank you for getting in with us on the uh, Best of Mental Dialogue 2020. Thanks a lot for the call, Equani. Yes, sir. Peace, bro. All right. With that said, got 30 seconds clean. Anything you want to get out? No, I enjoyed the dialogue today. Yeah, I'm good. All right. With that said, we'll see y'all next Saturday. Be sure to share these shows, part one and part two, Best of Minute Dialogue. You catch the best of what we do, how raw we keep it. At the end of the day, all we ask is that you think. See y'all next Saturday.